The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 199. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast along with listening to it. So get on out there and do that. Also, don't forget you can support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll, but of course, I do have five courses for sale. And each time you purchase one of those courses, you are helping support The Brian McClanahan Show. And if you do enroll, you will get the best deals on forthcoming courses. Also, remember that you can get 10% off anytime through 2019 by using the coupon code PODCAST. When you go and purchase a McClanahan Academy course. So five courses, one on the war, one on the Constitution, or at least American Constitutions. It's a comprehensive course. Also on the Declaration of Independence, Secession, and how Alexander Hamilton screwed up America, which in fact is going to be a part of this particular show today. You can also support the Brian McClanahan Show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can also purchase your Brian McClanahan Show gear at redbubble.com. Got lots of great stuff out there, so go to redbubble.com, do a search for my name, Brian McClanahan. You'll come up with my logo on all kinds of cool stuff. You're going to want that. And of course, don't forget that you can always go to learntruetruehistory.com, where you can get, uh, I think it's 24 courses now. It's, t- it's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. It's a great way to get a good, high-quality education, great bang for your buck, so You've got McClanahan Academy courses, which you can only get through McClanahan Academy. And then you've got me teaching at Learn True History as well. So you're going to want to get both those things. Great stuff. And uh, I appreciate any time you purchase that stuff. All right, so let's talk about the topic for the day. And uh, something that made a lot of headlines, I think, for at least a little while. And because I took uh, a little time off, three weeks off or so, uh, I didn't cover it right when it happened. It was right in the week that um, I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't podcasting, but it was last week. And it was a monologue that Tucker Carlson gave on his show about market capitalism. And I want to talk about not just the monologue, but also the response. Actually, he started talking about Mitt Romney's critique of Donald Trump. And of course, Mitt Romney is just the embodiment of real American conservative, conservatism. But he, uh, he was talking about a, a hit piece that Mitt Romney wrote against Donald Trump. And then he went off uh, onto a different tangent and talked about what American conservatism really means. And I think this is an interesting discussion to have. And in fact, it's one we're going to be having at the uh, uh, Austrian Research Conference uh, in uh, in. Auburn at Mises in March. I'll be on a panel talking about uh, American conservatism. In fact, this very topic. Um, so I think it's important to kind of approach that in a way that I'm going to do it then. I'm not, I'm not going to steal all my thunder there. You want to come to that so you can hear me. I'll be on a panel with uh, Paul Gottfried and um, I forget who else is on the panel, to be honest, to be honest with you, but uh, I know Paul Gottfried asked me to do it. Uh, so I'll be there uh, for that. And uh, oh, David Gordon's on the panel. Excuse me. David Gordon, Paul Gottfried, myself. I don't know if anyone else is on the panel, but the three of us. 
And so we're going to talk about the different facets of American conservatism. You certainly have the libertarian facet of it. Um, then you have um, this old Jeffersonian, what's often called populism. I think that's incorrect. And I, this is what Tucker Carlson sounds like. And so I'm, I'm actually going to talk about Carlson's monologue, but I'm going to look at it through the lens of Ben Shapiro, who wrote a piece for Daily Wire blasting this thing as completely idiotic, essentially, is what he's, what he's saying. Now, Carlson went on uh, Ben Shapiro's show, and then they had a, an hour-long conversation, which I haven't listened to all of that because, frankly, I just haven't had time to do it. Uh, but I'm sure that they got into some of the same things. And Carlson, of course, founded the Daily Caller. Um, he, he has been, in many ways, the most paleoconservative voice on modern, or at least uh, in, the, in the 21st century, uh, on modern television. Um, and Shapiro wrote a follow-up piece for the National Review where he said, you know, Tucker Carlson essentially is Pat Buchanan paleoconservatism. And it, in many ways, that's, that's correct. Uh, this is where T Tucker Carlson has taken that mantle. And, of course, he's younger. Pat Buchanan is fantastic. You know, people that don't like Pat uh, don't really pay attention to what he says. And Lou Rockwell is a fan of Pat Buchanan. Tom Woods is a fan of Pat Buchanan. Uh, we can all quibble about certain policies, but the core of all of it, and what, what Shapiro misses, is that Carlson actually rails against the central government being involved in things. He says it. Um, what he gets into at the end of the monologue is essentially the theme of this particular podcast, which is think locally, act locally. He says it. He doesn't say those words, but that's what he gets into. So I want to talk about Shapiro's piece in relation to also uh, Carlson's piece, or at least his monologue, his 15-minute monologue. If you haven't watched it, it's, it's really worth your time to do it. 15 minutes of your time to watch this monologue. But I'm going to... I'm going to... Uh, read through Shapiro's critique of that particular uh, monologue and then explain where Shapiro is way off base and also where he really doesn't understand the history of the Republican Party or the history of uh, Hamiltonian neo-mercantilism because essentially that's what Carlson is railing against. So um, I want to get to a couple of things that Shapiro says. Number one, he says, quote, but Carlson seems to attribute America's troubles not to government interventionism, but to government non-interventionism. That's not what Carlson's saying. He didn't say that at all. Now, I think Carlson would be in favor of things like Glass-Steagall, at least if you, if you listen to the monologue, it sounds like that. He would have been in favor of some of the progressive era restrictions on finance capital. But let me explain, and I've, and I've talked about this before briefly, and if you listen to the Abbeville Institute podcast, which I do on Fridays, I've gotten into this a lot more than I do here. But one of the things that people miss about that particular progressive era and some of the legislation that came out of it, and I get into that in my nine presidents who screwed up America. I talk about it briefly there. The critique of that finance capital was coming primarily from the South and I'll be frank, these people looked at what had happened after the war as an abuse of power by the central authority of banking and finance getting in bed together. It wasn't free markets they were against. It was the absence of free markets they were against. And so they were going to use the apparatus of the general government, which the Republican Party had created 
to restrict the power of the Republican Party fusing with government and, of course, making a big mess by by getting uh, finance and government together, finance, capital, and government in the same bed together. And, of course, that creates a, be- a great big Frankenstein. This is Hamilton's dream. That's Hamiltonianism. That's the Republican Party. The dominant force of the Republican Party, since it was... Conceived in 1854, we can get rid of all of, we can strip away all the stuff about slavery. But at the end of the day, what this was all about from the beginning was foisting this Hamiltonian economic system on the rest of America. And the populists, quote unquote populists of the Midwest after the war was over, figured this out because they realized, yeah, they got, they got land out of it. Uh, the, the Republicans were certainly interested in, in throwing them a bone. Well, we'll give you free land. And we'll give you internal improvements, which will help you get your product to market. But you're also going to get, you're going to get banking and commerce and industry. And you're going to get government support for those things. And the populists realized, well, we cut a bad deal. I mean, this is where Calhoun was saying uh, in the antebellum period, you know, if we don't start thinking about internal improvements, we're going to lose the Western farmers. All we have to do is give them internal improvements and they'll support us. He said it. If that, we're all together. Farmers are farmers. We can talk about labor, and of course, they're not going to be interested in having slave labor extended to the West, and that was, that was a big part of it. Western farmers were against not just slave labor being there, but also uh, free black labor, because that was competition for wages. And again, Carlson gets into this a little bit. Farmers are producers, and they don't want cheap labor knocking out their ability to produce. So there's always been this pushback from producers against free or cheap labor. And that's exactly what Carlson is saying. Now, of course, the market, the top of the, of the order, wants free or cheap labor. I mean, this is, this is why they're perfectly fine with importing foreign labor. It doesn't matter where it's from, from Europe, South America, Africa, wherever the, wherever the case may be. They wanted cheap, free labor. Now... On the other hand, if you're looking at, agri- at agricultural products, if you're not talking about major industrial operations, um, it still is a different kind of, of emphasis on these things. But I digress. We'll get into that more. But so Carlson didn't, didn't say he wants government interventionism. In fact, he, he says the exact opposite at the end of the monologue. He doesn't say that. But then Shapiro goes on. Typically, conservatism has argued that if you live in a free society in which you have not been targeted unfairly, your failures are your own. Well, this is true. I mean, Americans have believed that up until you get to the massive welfare state. It's not conservatism. That's, it's not an ism at all. We confuse things with isms, but it's not that. For Carlson, however, the very freedom our society leads to the unhappiness so many of us feel. Carlson seems to suggest that our system itself is to blame for individual shortcomings, and that collective restructuring of free institutions will alleviate and cure those shortcomings. This is simply, this is Shapiro, this is simply not reflective of conservatism or of founding ideology. So here's where Shapiro goes way off the rails. First of all, there is no founding ideology. There's no ideology at all. You can look at the founding as a continuation, in many ways, of, 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 
of English civil liberties. I mean, this is what they were in, in, interested in. But of course, you did have dif- disputes in the founding generation as to exactly what the founding meant. Mercy Otis Warren pointed this out in her history of the founding, essentially, where she, where she railed against people like John Adams and the Hamiltonians, the centralizers. And this is why John Adams said this is why women shouldn't write books. Because she was taking a very Jeffersonian approach to the fact the founding to the majority of Americans meant that we had a federal republic, that the states were the primary agents of the general government, and that the states could do essentially whatever they wanted. And that did mean economic regulation. It did mean that the states were essentially their own countries and you had the central authority that had very limited control over the internal police of the states. But how those states managed that was another matter of debate. Jefferson was certainly a radical reformer within Virginia. He was not a conservative in Virginia, though he was a conservative at the federal level. And this is where Carlson, this is where Shapiro can't see it, and I think Carlson doesn't make his point forcefully enough. The central authority, we shouldn't have top-down fusion of government and finance. We shouldn't have Hamiltonianism, which is what we've had since 1862. We've had Hamiltonianism, and both parties have been in favor of it, in one way or another. Now, Carlson, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Shapiro seems to think this isn't true, but you can look at the history of the United States and find it. It's most certainly true. Both parties are responsible for the mess that we have in the central government. Both parties have seen the general government as a vehicle to, in, to uh, enhance their fortunes. Whatever those fortunes may be, political or economic, you can't separate the two. And this is all Carlson is saying. Politics is economics. And the central theme of the Republican Party has been an economic system that has not been in favor of federalism, of the working class, of people who go out and earn a paycheck. It just hasn't been. It hasn't been since the Republican Party was founded. Now, they could disguise it that way. Hey, you keep us in power, uh, then we'll keep jobs for you. Well, what kind of jobs? What, what, is the, what, what, what sacrifice did Americans have to make to have some of those jobs? Is, is industrial society better for the individual worker, or is an agrarian society better? I mean, this is, this is agra- the agrarian critique. What, what Carlson is getting into is the agrarian, what we can call populist as we move forward, critique of industrial capitalism. It's not that they're against markets. I don't think Carlson is against markets. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say it at all. I'm not against. He never says, I am against markets. What he's essentially saying is, I'm against government and capital getting in bed together and creating a great great big mess. And there were many members of the founding generation who said this exact same thing, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Shapiro goes on, Carlson's monologue was ostensibly about the failure of the Republican elites to understand the populist revolt underway across the globe. Carlson explains, and I'm going to read you something Carlson said. Quote, this is from Carlson now. What kind of country will it be then? How do we want our grandchildren to live? These are the only questions that matter. The answer used to be obvious. The overriding goal for America is more prosperity, meaning cheaper consumer goods. Uh, But is that still true? Does anyone still believe that cheaper iPhones or more Amazon deliveries of plastic garbage from China are going to make us happy? They haven't so far. A lot of Americans are drowning in stuff, and yet drug addiction and suicide are depopulating large parts of the country. 
Anyone who thinks the health of a nation can be summed up in GDP is an idiot. And so Shapiro responds, this of course is eminently true. And our answer used to be that meaning wasn't supposed to be found in stuff at all. But that didn't obviate the desire for or usefulness of that stuff. Supply and demand economics has powered most of the world's human beings out of extreme poverty and led to the richest society in human history. It has allowed us to live longer in bigger houses and more comfort. It has meant fewer dead children and more living parents. If we've blown the advantage, that's our own fault. Now, uh, yeah, I mean, Shapiro essentially, I, I, I can agree with Shapiro to, to an extent here. Um, that uh, when you look at what's happened in, in world economies, that yes, capitalism has led to a more comfortable lifestyle, particularly for Americans. We live in a much more comfortable life than the people did even 70 years ago. Power, running water, sewage systems, all of this stuff, uh, the ability to have consumer goods, technology. I mean, look, a middle-class American would be the enemy of the world in the Middle Ages. Better medicine. I, no one would ever say we want to go back to a time when we didn't have these things. But uh, what has been the cost of this is what Carlson is asking. The cost has been the erosion of the American family because uh, in many ways this stuff has supplanted traditional American values. And the quest for that stuff has supplanted those things. We've been told that those things are the things that matter the most. Acquiring more stuff. It's image. It's pop culture. This is what this is what people think. And then Shapiro says this, which is where uh, he's so off base. He says, traditional conservatives recognize that the role of economics is to provide prosperity, to raise the GDP. This is traditional conservatism? Uh, traditional conservatives, the role of economics is to raise the GDP. Well, how do you do that? Well, you do it through the central authority, not not deregulating, but as Carlson says, picking winners and losers. Political economy is picking winners and losers. And the Hamiltonian system is all about picking certain winners and having certain losers. Hamilton was very frank about that. The Jeffersonians were the losers in his system, and he knew it. That's why he was wanting to shut down Democratic Republican clubs. He didn't care about those people. And the Democratic Republicans, frankly, didn't care about the Hamiltonians. They didn't care about the big banks. They railed against big banks. But they thought you could deal with big banks separately if big government wasn't supporting big banks. And this is what Carlson is saying. We've got a system that fosters the fusion of government and finance capital. We don't have a free market at all. As Clyde Wilson said, markets are great. But markets aren't the only thing, and not just that. When you have a government that is picking winners in the market, which it's doing through policies that crush wage earners and middle-class Americans, this is what William Graham Sumner said. This is the forgotten man. This is very libertarian in a lot of ways, too. When you have a government system that does that, that picks the winners and the losers, you have a poor economic system. Shapiro seems to miss the entire point of this. It's like he can't get out of his own way to understand what Carlson is saying. I, I really think Shapiro just doesn't get it. And most Americans don't. 
Carlson, though, Shapiro continues, conflates the two. Economics should provide meaning. How? Through jobs, he says. Here's how Carlson works this magic. Quote, this is Carlson. The goal for America is both simpler and more elusive than mere prosperity. It's happiness. There's a lot of ingredients to being happy. Dignity, purpose, self-control, independence. Independence. Yes, independence is the key to all of that. And one of the things, one of the points of the agrarian critique was always the independent farmer. Being independent, free from government, and ability to make your own decisions was key to having your own land. Now, Carlson's not favoring distributism, which is uh, G.K. Chesterton and Hallier Belioc. He's not favoring that at all, I don't think. I mean, you don't get it out of this. What he's looking at is going back to the local and not having an economic system that's created by the Hamiltonians to crush the forgotten man in the middle. It does, it does favor, our, our, our political economic system favors two groups, those at the top and those at the bottom. All Carlson is saying is that one party essentially favors those at the bottom and one party essentially favors those at the top. Well, who's in the middle? They're getting crushed. This is William Graham Sumner. They're crushed. This is the forgotten man message of William Graham Sumner. Above all, deep relationships with other people. This is Carlson again. These are the things that you want for your children. They're what our leaders should want for us and would want if they cared. And then Shapiro continues. Here's where Carlson goes wildly wrong. The goal for America wasn't happiness. It was the pursuit of happiness, that framework of freedom that allows us to pursue happiness. And he continues, these are things that you're supposed to teach your own children. Carlson doesn't disagree with that. He doesn't say that you're supposed to teach that you're supposed to teach your children these things. He doesn't disagree with that at all. He never says that. In fact, Carlson doesn't say that limited government is the problem at all. He doesn't say that limited government is the problem. Now, he favors he, but he doesn't say the federal government is a solution either. He never says that, not one time. He never says the federal government. Now, this is where everybody immediately goes, because they think, well, if you say we need, for example, to have payday loans, because Carlson gets into that, we need to regulate payday loans. He's thinking the general government needs to regulate payday loans. No, Carlson, well, I think I mean, the, the point is, yeah, I mean, states can regulate payday loans if they want to. This is purely state economics. In Alabama, there's always been, for example, a critique of payday loans because they do charge exorbitant rates, interest rates. I mean, people would say this is immoral to do it. And you can say it's consenting adults. Yeah, okay. And Carlson says that. All right. But is there a problem? We can say it's disgusting. Is there a problem with this? Sure. We can say that. Uh, Carlson goes on. But our leaders don't care. We are ruled by mercenaries who feel no long-term obligation to the people they rule. One of the biggest lies our leaders tell us is that you can separate economics from everything else that matters. Economics is a topic for public debate. Family and faith and culture, meanwhile, those are personal matters. Both parties believe this. Uh, and, and Shapiro goes on to say, no, both parties don't believe this. You know, they, 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 the, uh, the Democrats don't believe that at all. Well, I mean, they do in a lot of ways. I mean, one of the things the Democrats do, I mean, look, consenting adults, I mean, when you look at, at least in theory, 
some of the things they talk, the more libertine element of the Democrat Party. You can do what you want in your own bedroom, behind closed doors, whatever those things are. That's all libertine stuff. And that is, I mean, this consenting adults, they favor, they, they okay, we should have, that should not be an element, I mean, your faith, all those things should not be for government consumption. We shouldn't have a quote-unquote Christian nation. So they're getting into this, but what you do in your own personal, how you worship, those things, those are, that's all your own business, and no government should tell you otherwise. I mean, there is that element to the Democrat Party. Um, there's also that element, in some ways, the Republican Party in some things, but not everything. Shapiro says the Democrat Party believes that the economy should be structured from the top down so as to maximize particular social outcomes. The Republican Party used to believe, anyways, that economic choices just ought to be just as private as family, faith, and culture. <laughs> when? When did the Republican Party ever believe that? In 1862? In 1882? No, they've never believed that. They never believed that economic choices ought to be as private. No, they've fostered the Hamiltonian economic system since the time the party was, in, was conceived in 1854. They've always believed in the Hamiltonian economic system. They've always believed in big banks and big business and the fusion of big banks, big business, and big government. It's always been their economic mantra. They don't believe in the free market. They don't believe in the free market at all. The free market doesn't help them. The, Hamilton was never a believer in, quote-unquote, the free market. He was a believer in state capitalism. It's what he believed in. It's mercantilism. That's Hamilton's system. It's neo-mercantilism. We, we have state capitalism. This is what Carlson is going against. He's simply saying state capitalism crushes people. But Shapiro can't seem to get it. That's the problem. Uh, so... When you look at one of the things that Shapiro claims that Carlson misses is that the Democrats have never favored the free. I mean, look, never favored the free market. Uh, that the Republican Party and Democrat Party are different in terms of economics, are they? I mean, did not Clinton sign into law NAFTA? Have the Democrats not favored the general economy that we have? Certainly, they believe in the social welfare state, but so are the Republicans. Republicans believe in it too. I mean, this is, this is essentially since the New Deal was created in the 1930s, the Republicans have been on board with it. Just they want a little less New Deal, a little softer New Deal than what the Democrats want. But that's the driving agenda for both parties. They both believe in it. They both believe in the system that we have, the political economic system we have. Democrats believe in the fusion of banking and finance. They're all part of it. Wall Street donors, donors dominate the Democrat Party just as much as the Republican Party. They all believe in these things. They believe in the fundamental economic system we have. Shapiro seems to live in this fairy tale world that he thinks that somehow Republicans are pure free market people. They're not. They're not at all. They're not uh, libertarian in that sense at all. Neither are Democrats. Neither party is. This is what Carlson is saying. Both parties are corrupt. They are. And the problem, Carlson says, is uh, the solution to the problem can be found in the individual at the local level from the bottom up. He, he says that at the end of the monologue. Shapiro continues, The Republican Party, Carlson says, is dominated by social conservatives who complain that the American family is collapsing, but neglect to blame the market for family breakdown. Carlson says, quote, 
The idea that families are being crushed by market forces seems to never to occur to them. They refuse to consider it. Questioning markets feels like a posse. Both sides miss the obvious point. Culture and economics are inseparably intertwined. Certain economic systems allows family to thrive. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Carlson would say, essentially, that the certain economic system he's talking about here is a top-down social economic system or political economic system that is socialism. In fact, Carlson says at the end, we should be avoiding socialism. What he's saying here is that Hamiltonian neo-mercantilism is crushing families because it's it's picking winners and losers. And he points out Mitt Romney and Bain Capital. It's picking winners and losers. Carlson never says he wants socialism. And in fact, this is where Shapiro confuses producerism with socialism. There are two different things. The common man, the forgotten man, that position is, again, if you haven't read William Graham Sumner, you need to. When you have a system, a Hamiltonian system, that picks the top people to win in the, in the process, whether it's through central banking, which is the Federal Reserve, low interest rates, uh, inflating the monetary supply, these type of things favor a certain group of people, central bankers, at the expense of wage earners. And, and Shapiro even admits it. <clears throat> he says, look, wages have gone down in terms of inflation, but our stuff has gotten cheaper, so it doesn't matter. Well, that's not what we should want. Uh, we don't want wages to go down in terms of inflation is a problem, and that's central banking. That's Hamiltonianism. That's neo-mercantilism. It's, it's, it's bound to happen when you have central banking. Uh, and there's no doubt about it. And the Trump administration is, understands that what people vote based on how well the stock market's doing. <laughs> uh, and so they, Trump has been very critical of the Federal Reserve for raising interest rates to trying to stop runaway inflation and some of the problems that we could have if we, if we continue down this path. We also have a, a system, an economic system, that does favor, not just through finance capital and central banking, but does, does NAFTA really favor working-class Americans? Yeah, I mean, we can get cheaper stuff, supposedly, but I'll give you an example of where that doesn't always fit. There was a sewing factory in Atmore, Alabama, Vanity Fair, which is, makes women's undergarments. And uh, this, this factory provided good-paying jobs for the uneducated, you know, high school educated people of Atmore, Alabama. It's in the Wiregrass part of Alabama, very, very rural area. Uh, these people are just, you know, uh, good, good rural working class, white working class Americans. And, and, and Tucker Carlson says, look, the problems of white working class America are the same as black working class America. They're the same. Okay. So uh, these are, these are things that provide jobs. For these people. Well, Vanity Fair figured out after NAFTA, and you saw this with the textile industry across the South, after NAFTA, well, they could put a factory in Mexico and they could save on their labor, but it didn't lower the price of their consumer goods at all. Uh, in fact, they didn't cut the price of, say, an undergarment in the store because the product was being made and they were making more profit. They didn't cut the price. Now, you can say, well, they haven't increased the price as much. So because of inflation and other things, real, but these people don't have jobs anymore, so they can't buy these undergarments <laughs> because they don't have a job. So, yeah, while some people, okay, well, I mean, the price hasn't gone up very much. And so now you have people trying to find jobs in other types of industries, which aren't as stable. 
uh, or you know things service industries which are awful. I mean, this is this is we shift the economy around, and people that were making pretty good wage working in a sewing factory can't make the same amount of money working uh, as at a call center for some uh, local telecommunications company, or driving people around in Uber. I mean, so this is this is the question: What kind of jobs are people going to have now? The agrarians would say these people should have never left the farm in the first place. They don't have independence anyways because they've gotten tied into this industrial economy. But all Carlson is saying is that NAFTA is destructive to American manufacturing, American jobs. There's free trade and there's fair trade. I mean, this is, this is all he's pointing out. Um, so, I mean, Shapiro is missing the point. The prices didn't go down. Now, we can say that prices haven't gone up as much and that perhaps prices would be higher if that company wanted to make more of a profit. And so um, you, you, could, you could say that, well, I mean, if we kept these jobs there, that undergarment would have gone up in price. And because we moved to Mexico, we could keep it the same price. But again, the costs are American manufacturing jobs. And Shapiro says, well, manufacturing is stable. Yeah, I mean, Americans have moved some manufacturing around. We have different types of manufacturing. But in the rural South, for example, when the textile industry went away, a lot of jobs went away. When the cabinet manufacturing, when the, when the lumber industry, when all those things went away, all that stuff, all those jobs were gone. What are people going to do? And so you've started seeing the impoverished rural America. And this is what Carlson points out. You've got impoverished rural America. You've got farmers that can't make it anymore. You've got factories and things that disappeared. No different than in inner cities. And it's all because of Hamiltonian economics. This is all he's pointing out. This is George Wallace back in the 19th. He was saying the same things back. I mean, t- strip away the race stuff. He was saying the same things. And in fact, George Wallace wasn't always a race baiter. And he, uh, he wasn't at all. Uh, but he became that because he thought that was the way he was going to win elections. So, um, but you strip away all of the race stuff. If you look at what he was talking about back in the late 60s and early 70s when he was running for president, um, it was this type of economic populism. We need to favor American working class people. It's Jimmy Carter. And this is this is what we this is what you had. And so then Carlson took a lot of heat because he started talking about uh, you know, male versus female wages. Is the American male worker is being punished? In many ways, he's he's correct about that. The American male worker is being punished, and he says that. In, and then Shapiro gets into that and says, "Well, we we shouldn't artificially boost male wages. Are we artificially boosting male wages by having jobs that uh, men go out and meet? look?" Colleges and universities are now dominated by females. Men uh, are not, there are not as many men in colleges and universities as are females. So these white-collar jobs now are going to more and more females. Men are left behind in this. Men, a lot of men want to work a blue-collar job or something like that. They don't want to have to necessarily go out and get a college degree. And then what is the value of that college degree if they're in areas where they can't get jobs? Um, so... We're told to go get a college degree. We're told that's the be-all, end-all. But when you don't, I mean, you, a lot of times people go out and get a degree and they can't use it. So the blue-collar jobs, this is Mike Rowe saying, hey, there's all these blue-collar jobs out there um, that aren't getting filled. But we're told structurally that men should go to college. We're not, again, this is this is in some ways, I've, I've mentioned this, you know, when I talked about metal and all the, this, this angst, this male angst in America is because men aren't allowed to be men. And this is this is something that is problematic in America. And he points that out with wages and marriage and other things. Uh, so uh, one of the things 
that uh, Carlson says, this is a quote from Carlson, uh, he says, for our ruling class, more investment banking is always the answer. They teach us it's more virtuous to devote your life to some soulless corporation than it is to raise your own kids. Sheryl Sandberg at Facebook wrote an entire book about this. Sandberg explains that our first duty is to shareholders above our own children. No surprise there. Sandberg herself is one of America's biggest shareholders. Propaganda like this has made her rich. And we do see this. I mean, how can you have two working families and have a, or two working parents and have a family at the same time? Well, we, there is there is a a cultural from the top down attack on stay at home moms on uh, on the nuclear family on things that are important. There is a top down assault on those things, and it is being fostered by the general government. There's no doubt about it. We're being told now this is this is filtered into American society at large. And that does come from a structural political economic system. And, and again, it, this is it's cultural, but the political economic system helps create some of the culture in America. Um, one of the things that, uh, and I'm, I'm just quote Carlson here, and then I'm going to go back to Shapiro. So Carlson says this. Republican leaders will have to acknowledge that market capitalism is not a religion. Market capitalism is a tool, like a staple gun or a toaster. Now, what he's getting into here, he's saying market capitalism. What he really means is state capitalism. You'd have to be a fool to worship it. Our system was created by human beings for the benefit of human beings. We do not exist to serve markets, just the opposite. Any economic system that weakens and destroys families is not worth having. A system like that is the enemy of a healthy society. What he's getting into is state capitalism, which is the enemy of a healthy society. It's Hamiltonianism. Now, so I think using the wrong word here is the problem. And Shapiro says, this is a complete misread of market capitalism. It's not a tool. It's not a creation of a centralized decision-making process. It's not? Are you sure? Do, do you, Shapiro, do you really understand Alexander Hamilton? Because that's what he was creating. This is the entire system the Jeffersonians railed against. This is John Taylor of Caroline saying this thing is going to create a group of asses. That's his word. Who are going to be paying taxes, exorbitant taxes, to support corporate welfare. We've got a system that supports welfare on the bottom and welfare at the top. And in the middle, nobody gets welfare. Wage earners are getting crushed. I mean, and even Shapiro agrees with Carlson when he says, look, the problem is that American wage earners pay 40% of their income in taxes Whereas, uh, at times, whereas the uh, investment banker only pays 14% of their money in taxes. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, should, should we make this more equitable in terms of what wage earners should pay? Maybe we should just cut their taxes. <laughs> I mean, this would be a good thing. But we don't do that. We punish wages. Uh, and that's that's problematic. Uh Shapiro says uh, market capitalism is one choice among many. It's not a mere uh, value-neutral proposition. Pretending it is is a road to centralization of power. But but Carlson doesn't say that. Carlson, at the end of his monologue, says, look, the, what we need to do essentially is think locally, act locally. We need to start from the bottom up. We need to work with families. We need to come up with solutions from the bottom up. Focus on family first and foremost. Try to come up with an economic system that is in favor of that. And this is where you can get decentralization. Carlson is actually saying, we don't want centralization. We want decentralization. We want 
We want the general government to get out of the banking industry. We want the general government to get out of the Hamiltonian fusion of finance, capital, and government. That's what we want. This is what populists supposedly want. That's all Carlson is saying. And I think Shapiro misses the point. And I think this is the problem with people who don't really understand what, what Shapiro says is founding ideology. It's no ideology. It's Jeffersonian critique, the Jeffersonian critique of Hamiltonian economics. That's what Carlson is, is favoring. And this is, I think it's an interesting, it's the agrarian critique. It's John Taylor of Caroline. Uh, it's John Randolph of Roanoke. It's Thomas Jefferson. It's that strain, and it's, it's against centralization in all of its forms. That was the core of populism of the 19th century. But eventually they said, okay, if, if we're going to have this apparatus, let's use it to our advantage. This is, Glass, this is uh, Henry Stegall and Carter Glass and uh, uh, Clayton uh, and, up, and uh, Underwood and uh, Pujo. It's all these people who were saying, look, we're going to use the system that the Republicans created and we're going use it, to use it against them and we're going to make it more fair. So I think this is an interesting topic. I'm going to get into it in more detail uh, in, in March um, on that panel. So if you're going to the Austrian Research uh, Conference, uh, you'll see me there. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll do this. We'll talk about it more. Uh, but it's an interesting, I think, interesting position to have, an interesting debate to have about what these things mean. And, uh, you know, DiLorenzo, Tom DiLorenzo, who is certainly a libertarian, is very critical of Hamiltonianism, which is what Tucker Carlson is saying here. We, Shapiro misses the entire point. Well, I know this this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show went a little long, but I thought this was an interesting topic. needed to be explored, and I wanted to get into it. So uh, I'll see you next time. Big episode next time because it is episode 200. And so I'm really excited about that. But anyways, I will see you next time on the Brian McClanahan Show.